Okay, everyone, I'm going to bring us back in, and we could get started with the sermon, the message for today. Um, I'm sorry to break up your discussion. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to see that you guys are discussing the question or discussing whatever you are discussing, but I am going to bring us back together and uh, get started with the message for today. Um, for those who don't know me, uh, hello, uh, my name is Grant. I'm uh, one of the four elders here at Quicksilver Church. If you don't know what an elder is, uh, stick around after service for the membership class and find out. It's another plug for that. Um, I'm really thankful uh, that Fred has invited me to give another sermon. Um, I don't consider myself an expert on the, the passage for today, but I feel like I'm someone stumbling towards the light, and I'm happy to share how I've interacted with the text. Um, the passage today is a little varied, and so my goal or my strategy is going to be help you understand the text as it is written and invite you to join me in working out some of the applications for our lives. Um, Paul will cover kind of a final thesis of unity that he'll put out. He'll describe his personal mission, and then he will also discuss some practicalities of his mission. And I think we will find some applications relevant to the fractured, and disempowered American church that we are part of. Um, as a recap, we've been going through the book of Romans, and we've seen how the gospel reveals uh, God's righteousness. It creates a new humanity. It unites the church and ultimately fulfills God's promise to Israel as well. In the past few weeks, Paul has been instructing, we've been looking at passages where Paul instructs the church not to allow small issues to to divide the church. And so, with that said, I'm going to read the full passage, and then we'll read it uh, verse by verse. Sound like a plan? Great. Um, here we go. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written... Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself, this is Paul talking, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written uh, to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. For... In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where it has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have 
Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, Romans. But now, since I no longer have any work, uh, any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to uh, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave Spain, leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That was a lot. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we'll go in. Lord, you are the God of peace. Would you give me peace right now? Would, you, would your peace be um, felt in, in, this, in this building this morning as we read Paul's words. Um, may you be glorified. May things that I say be honoring to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, going verse by verse here. There's a lot of verses, but we'll get through it. Verse 8 is where we're starting. Um, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. In short, Jesus gave his life. He defeated death for the Jews first because that's what he said he was going to do. That's my quick summary. But I do want to focus on four words in that sentence. Um, Christ, servant, circumcised, and uh, promises. So Christ, as a reminder, uh, means anointed or the chosen one. The word servant there means like a waiter, like to serve food and drink. So who is the Christ, the chosen one, becoming a servant to? Uh, The circumcised. Simply, that means the Jewish people. Um, Circumcision has been or was a marker for that community um, and their tradition of law following. But I want to take a brief tangent to really um, explain circumcision, because I'm not sure many people understand why it was that part of the body that was chosen to be the marker and what the actual act of circumcision represents. So in Genesis 12, and way at the start of the Bible, Abraham, um, God gave Abraham a covenant. He said, um, even though you're crazy old and your wife's crazy old, uh, you're going to have a kid, and you're going to be a father to nations. And in Genesis 15, we learn that Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And shortly thereafter, God reaffirmed 
hey, you're crazy old, but you will have a kid. And let's institute this practice of circumcision. It is within that context that circumcision was uh, in- introduced. God chose the part of the body. He marked the part of the body of Abraham and his sons through which God will fulfill his promise. So that's why that part of the body. That's what I think at least. The second part is like, what's the act? Why? What does it represent? Um, so I'm going to describe circumcision generically, and I stay with me here. It's a cut. It's a cutting off of the flesh. It is a lifelong change. What is cut off is disposed of, forgotten, forever. I hope you see the symbolism here, because when we turn to God, when we believe Him, when we turn to Jesus. Our flesh, which is our pride, our stubbornness, our self-destructive part of us, gets cut off. God cuts it off, disposes of it, forgets it together forever. And that's good news. Um, In the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, there's there's this great verse that says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. So this idea of what the physical act of circumcision having this deeper meaning and what it represents throughout the whole Bible. Paul talked about it in our letter, his letter, uh, a few weeks ago in our sermon series. So I just want to point out that circumcision is a, originally was a marker of righteousness by faith. I don't think, I think that's really cool. And I don't think many people think like that. So back to the verse. Uh, the fourth thing is promises. What is the main promise that is alluded to here? I think it's what I just mentioned. Like, in you, Abraham, you will become a father. What does it say? I'll make of you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus was fulfilling that promise when he defeated death, and now is expanding or inviting the whole world um, to be blessed by his presence. Okay, verse 9. Uh, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So this section is interesting because Paul quotes four passages from the Old Testament. Um, he is trying to demonstrate that it was God intends and always intended that the Gentiles will be included in the family, will um, be part, you know, salvation will go to them. And Paul quotes this in this context of, right, disunity. So he's saying, Jews, Gentiles, we should not quabble over smaller matters. You know, this message is, has been that it is for all of us, and that is what we can unite over. Um, a brief note on the word Gentiles. I'm not sure what you think of, but I'm tempted to think, oh, that just means, like, not Jew. And that's true, but you could think of it more specifically as, like, the nations. It means races, um, multitudes of people, um, tribes. So that was helpful for me because you can, Gentiles is obviously not a word that we use, but you can almost substitute the word nations, um, which is, I think you get the point. So first thing that's quoted, it's from Psalm 18. It's, uh, uh, it's written by David. It also appears in actually the book of Samuel or 2 Samuel. Um, so David is so proud or so excited that God just delivered him and gave him this victory. 
And he's like, I'm going to tell everyone that they could come to you and find victory. So there's this invitation that Paul quotes uh, that David is, um, is inviting everyone to participate in God. <clears throat> the Verse 10, and again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So if you remember <clears throat> last week, Fred gave a sermon, I think uh, particularly on verse 6, it has the language of sing together with one voice. I don't know if you guys remember that. He, he kind of sang a song in the sermon. Do you remember? It was kind of fun. <clears throat> so this has similar language, right? Rejoice, sing together, Jews and Gentiles, one voice. Um, this particular passage is quoted from uh, the book of Deuteronomy, and it's Moses talking. It's in the context of God will judge those who go against God. And so Jews and Gentiles can worship together. Anyone can take refuge in God. What's interesting, though, this is a small uh, nugget, that if you go to the quote passage where it's quoted from in Deuteronomy 32, 43, the, the specific wording is different in the ESV. There's some textual variations between what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Masoretic texts, um, but the variations don't take away from the point that's consistent across both, that all can come and rejoice with God. So verse 11 now. Uh, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the let all the peoples extol him. So this is quoting Psalm 117. This is the shortest book in the Bi- shortest chapter in the Bible. Um, so we had this invitation going out as the first quotation, this um, rejoicing together, and now this particular one is only talking about Gentiles, like you all rejoice. And now in verse 12, it talks about in Isaiah how the root of Jesse will come, and even he who arises will rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. So there's this invitation out, rejoicing together, rejoicing by yourself, and the Gentiles, the nations, depending on, um, on God. So there's that progression. I think that's pretty cool. So in verse 13, there's this little mini prayer that Paul inserts to kind of conclude that thought before he talks about his personal ministry. Um, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So peace in believing, what does that mean? I believe it means when you believe that the mercy is for us Gentiles, we are the nations. We are a result of Paul's message, of Jesus' message going out. And that mercy which he's preaches, which he was preaching, applies to us. And that's where that peace comes from. I love the filling language, like fill you with joy. It's like you have a gallon of water and you got a small cup. It's like fill. Anyway, I think that's helpful. Um, So it mentions hope. You might abound in hope. Uh, Hope is a powerful, dangerous thing. Um, For me, how I've experienced hope these past four years is I've had chronic pain in my body, in my knee, my shoulder, my back, my wrists, and my foot, and it's been very trapping. uh, I feel trapped. And I feel the pain. I feel limited by the activities that I'm able to do. And I struggle to have hope that I'll be able to run again, that I'll be able to jump again, that I'll stand up without pain, that I'll be able to like lift my son without feeling pain in my wrists. Um, but I've made some progress, and that gives me hope, because I'm like, maybe I could be healed again. But that, it's hard, right, when you have like hope, and then like I'll have a regression in the pain in my body, and then that's so demoralizing. Hope is dangerous because 
you're like emotionally, like somewhere in your soul, you're counting on something to happen and you're excited about it. Do you have hope today in your life? Verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. If you look in your Bibles, there's a footnote. It says, and sisters, brothers and sisters. He's not leaving the women out here. Um, so there's this metaphor I want to introduce here. Paul is almost, I think of him as, he's speaking as a builder. Like, just think construction worker for me, with me for a second, okay? So he, he builds communities of people that are able to do ministry to one another in the surrounding community. That's what he builds. Like, work with me with this metaphor. Um, <clears throat> so these communities, the model of community that he describes is not celebrity culture. It's not outsourcing ministry to the special few. It's this all together, we all do this, um, all of us have this responsibility and the ability to serve one another. When was the last time in good faith and care that you instructed or warned someone in your life? But on some points, verse 15, I have written very boldly uh, by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. So he's like overall happy with the direction, right? But he has a few constructive criticisms, so he's like, you're doing good, but mm, remember these things. Uh, Verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles and the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offerings might be acceptable. So again, he's speaking as a builder here, and he's describing the architect's vision, architect being God, Jesus, that the nations would know Jesus. And um, this living sacrifice language, um, I think, yeah, the offering of the Gentiles is similar to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that talks about present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's pretty cool. In verse 17, he, has, he says he has reason to be proud of my work for God. So I asked that question, or I had us talk about that question. I want to make one thing clear. It's a tangent, and it's a whole other topic, but I want to make it clear. Sinful pride is not to be confused by self-respect, proper self-esteem, self-love, or feeling proud. I believe all of those things are necessary for human flourishing, and God is honored in those things. Self-respect, proper self-esteem, self-love, and feeling proud. Sinful pride is this irreligious, antisocial assertion of the self. Right? That's different. That's what... So when you see, he's like, oh, he's proud. He's pride. Uh, I think that it's a helpful point to make those distinct. For I, verse 18, venture to speak of anything, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. The man had clarity in his life. He knew what he needed, what he was put on the earth to do. God had, if you go in the book of Acts, I think it is, this is God gave him a vision and a particular task. And so the builder can look at um, think of the construction thing again. The builder can look at a building that he did and be say, say that as good work. And he didn't design it, but he could say, I- I'm excited about this work, the glory of the mission, that's a good building. I think um, Paul looks at what he did, and, and I don't think that's, that's prideful. He's just excited about buildings being built. Um, the last part of this verse where it says, by word and deed, it's a 
kind of reads together with the next verse. By word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, uh, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Okay, I'm going to reword that. So he built these buildings by doing X, Y, and Z from Jerusalem, which I think you know where it is given world events going on. It's like the top right of Africa, to Illyricum, which I bet you don't know where it is, um, it's modern Albania, which I, I'm guessing you also don't know where that is. Um, it's like above the middle of Africa to the right of Italy, for what it's worth. So he's saying he's done these things in that area. What things did he do? So in Acts 19, it says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were carried from his body to the sick and diseases, were, diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. So he's saying he did his ministry, he spoke the news of Jesus, but then also had these miracles. So that's what he's alluding to here. Verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Right. So Paul, he is a builder. He isn't really a maintainer. He loves building. Um, and both are very valuable, He's a builder. He doesn't want to build where other people have already built. So I was talking with Fred, and we were kind of thinking, you could kind of compare Paul to like an Elon Musk or like a Steve Jobs in that they're visionary people, big personality. Um, they pave new paths. So I'm not saying you could kind of forget that imagery when it's, the, when it's not helpful, but it's fair to say that there's some similarities, but in this verse, Paul is not being egotistical. He is saying, I just care that the buildings are made. I don't care who builds them, but I, they need to be built. Verse 21, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So this interestingly comes from Isaiah 52, which is where the description of the man of sorrows comes from. Um, in the context the those uh, who have not heard refers to like kings, kings who have not heard and not understood. They'll be silenced because of the appearance of the marred servant, the marred servant, man of sorrows. So Paul interestingly quotes this, and he's like, we need to preach to people that haven't heard of this so that, you know, the kings will see the appearance of Jesus and be silenced and be humbled. Verse 22. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered to coming to you. So he's like, dude, there's been so many important buildings that I've needed to build that like, I haven't come back to you even though I, I, I built you earlier. So that's what he's talking about. Um, verse 23. But now I have no longer have any room to, for work in these regions and since I have longed for many years to come to you. So he's like, you know, this land is already developed, so I think I have time to swing by you. Um, so in verse 24, it says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on the journey by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Right? So he's saying, like, on my way to my next development, I'll stop in and can you help me out? Like, we'll have a good time. Send me off nice and good. Um, he has no issue asking for help. Like, you, you can make the argument Paul wrote this letter to, like, uh, Paul... Um, Fred even said to like drum up support, like uh, I'm fostering this relationship with you, 
almost to invite you to help me on my way to Spain. Um, we find out in other letters that Paul does go to Rome, and we have reason to believe he does make it to Spain. But what's interesting is he doesn't go to Rome in this like uh, missionary context as he planned it. He actually went to Rome in, Rome in chains. He was uh, brought before Caesar to testify to his crimes. So um, diff- different plan- uh, didn't happen different than he planned it. Uh, 25. Um, this is so funny. But at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. So, right, he's like, I haven't had time to go to you, but I'll eventually go to you. And on my way to you, I'm really, or I'll be on the way to something else, but not yet because I need to do this other other thing. He's like doing a million things, right? So, um, verse 26, for Macedonia and Acacia have, I don't know how to say that, um, have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Does anyone know where Macedonia and Acacia are? So it's modern-day Greece, uh, for what it's worth. Um, somebody made this big donation, and they didn't have Venmo back then, so he needed to like hand-deliver the donation from them in Greece picture to uh, Jerusalem. So he needed to transfer all that. Um, you could read more about it in Acts 20, if you're curious. Um, so, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, meaning pleased to like give that money, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in material blessings. Uh, Pastor Fong, on November 4th here, talked about this idea of owing love to one another, owing love. And it's kind of reiterated here a bit that w- Jews and Gentiles are now a family, and families share things with one another. It's not transactional. But this is reciprocity expected inside of a family. And it's meant to be given out of a cheerful heart. Uh, When, therefore, I have completed this, verse 28, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So he's like, as soon as I'm done, then I'm coming. Um, I know, verse 29, uh, when I've come to you, that I will come in the fullness of blessing of Christ. So he's like dealing with a lot of people, but he believes he's doing right by everyone. And that is a really cool feeling. I'm not sure if you've ever felt so confident that you were doing the right thing in your life. Um, I've had a few moments in my life where I felt that way, and it's a great feeling. Um, for me, it was two, two events, that, uh, times in my life when this happened, was when I was about to propose to Michelle, and when on my wedding day. If I, I felt like I couldn't do, I had more certainty on those days than I ever had in, in my life, it feel like. like I'm doing right by everyone. I'm coming in the fullness, uh, the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Like, I don't know. That's what I think about when I read that verse. I appeal to you, brothers, uh, verse 30, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers um, to God on my behalf. Again, brothers and sisters are included in this. He's like, like, please pray. The word strive together means like, literally agonized together. He's like, please join me, care about this big mission that I'm working on, and help me. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable. So why is he saying delivered from at least unbelievers, and why would he say he hopes that people accept money? That's kind of funny. So the first thing is like, he was warned that he would face a lot of trials and tribulations, and indeed he did. There's some quotes from the book of Acts. 
imprisonment, afflictions. People were seeking to kill him. He should not be allowed to live. It's literally in the uh, quote there. So that's what ultimately what happens. And he's like, I hope, what is the language? I hope to be delivered from them. So why, uh, going back to the Elon Musk, uh, Steve Jobs thing briefly, um, he was, Paul was kind of considered to be a dangerous innovator. And the people in Jerusalem were pretty conservative. So he's like, I hope they'll accept all these things that I'm doing. So that's kind of the context to him saying that. Verse 32, we're almost done. Uh, so by the God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Right? So when he's like, when I finally get to Rome and I see you again, it'll be great. Um, but what's interesting, like I said before, he does make it. Again, he's in chains, but he sees his brothers in chains. He's in chains. He sees his brothers, and the quote from Acts when this happens, he thanks God and took courage. So he did have this uh, moment that he was hoping to have, although slightly different than what he was expecting. The last verse, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So this feels like the end of the letter, but there's like a whole other chapter. He always feels like, are you ending the letter? No, not yet. Uh, so that's the passage for today. I'm going to end with some application. Are you a Jew inwardly? That's my question. If not, you should base your identity on the resurrection of Jesus and have your sins cut away and forgotten. Do you see God's heart for the nations in the Old Testament? If not, or if you just want to be reminded, grab a friend, start reading, and I recommend the book of Jonah. Um, is there anyone in your life that you look at them, maybe they're in this church, and you're like, I'm nothing like them. There's like this, this distance here. Um, consider asking them what their faith means to them. We see in this passage that Paul invites Jews and Gentiles to find unity in Christ. We can practice that. Hey, tell me what your faith means to you. Do you want to be at a church where people minister to one another? that people would instruct one another. Go to a trusted friend and ask them for constructive criticism on yourself. Right? Lead by example. Do you see your work as connected to God's kingdom building? Um, practically, what I'd recommend for this is uh, you should go to someone else in the church that does something similar to you and have a question, a real talk. Does what we do actually matter? And have that conversation. Um, do you have hope? Um, if not, please ask for help. We're sp supposed to be here for each other. We're a family. Have, if you have received spiritual blessings from this church, give material blessings back. Fred already plugged it. <laughs> uh, do you know someone working really hard for something bigger than themselves? Right? Paul was working for some, something like huge, and he was like, I need help. I need you to pray for me. Is there anyone in your life which you can do that for? So I'm going to end this message with Paul's prayers. I'm going to just read him again. This will be my prayer to end. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And may the God of peace be with you all. Amen.